When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. It's a Wednesday, Better Make It Quick, where we go back and have a listen to some episodes of the past that Bree Steele, my researcher, has gone back and picked out and thought, you know, these, these are worth a bit of a bit of a re-listen to. So here's a little bit uh, of a conversation that I had a couple years ago now, and if you like it, there's a whole thing you can dive into. Today, we're having a conversation in 2013 which was the first time I've had one of the people I've known the longest in my life, Yumi Steins. She came on the podcast. She was the eighth guest on the show. Most podcasts that feature interviews, the first 20 or 30 are usually just people on your phone. (laughs) I've known Yumi over 20 years now, 21 years now. We started working together at Channel V. At the time we recorded this, I was still living in America. I was in Sydney recording the first season of The Bachelor. Yumi came to the flat that the production company had rented for me in Bondi. We drank matcha tea together, beautiful matcha tea, and I got it specifically because that taste of that tea was incredibly uh, meaningful to me, which you'll hear if you listen to the full uh, episode. Yumi is a fearless human being. She still is. She's one of the most fearless people I know. It's not that she doesn't feel fear, I guess, really. She definitely feels fear, but she acts in the face of fear more than anybody I know. And it's an incredibly, incredibly powerful trait. When Yumi was 20 years old, she hitchhiked around Australia. Think about that. Would you do it now? (laughs) Yumi started in Byron Bay, eventually made her way all the way up to the Torres Strait Islands. She told me the story of how this kind of hitchhiking chase towards the sun led to some Pretty phenomenal adventures. I got to a point really, Osha, where you, you're standing by the side of the road, you, you know the road quite well, and it becomes like a game. And I thought, I don't want to, I don't want any of these nanas picking me up anymore. I don't want the nice Byron mum with the, the dreadlocks and the couple of kids in the back picking me up because she's worried about me being safe. I'm going to go for trucks because trucks cover K's and I want to cover some serious K's. So I'd just wait and I'd, I'd stand on a shoulder of the road where you knew a truck could pull over safely and they weren't going super fast and just wait for some big bastard, massive road train to come along. And these guys were so, um, 
mm. kind and um, they just wanted someone to have a yarn to. It was really, really a, a great experience to go, you know what, people are actually really deep down inherently good. No one tried to strangle me or do anything that I didn't want to, to happen or even say anything that was um, confronting or rude or impolite. People just wanted to have someone in their car or their truck to have a yarn to and maybe I could pay them back by having a yarn, telling them a story, opening their eyes or illuminating some kind of thing to them. So I travelled all like, the way. Like Walter White in the cabin begging the guy to stay, <laughs> to stay for an hour, play cards with me. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's yeah. really interesting because the, the, the narrative is that if you go hitchhiking, you'll end up lost in a ditch. Yeah, and, and with your throat slit. Yeah, but you're, what are you, 5'1"? Yeah, I'm not a tall person. You're a tall, beautiful, <laughs> semi-Asian babe standing on the side of the road with a bag, yeah. very obviously on the lamb from yeah. something or someone. <laughs> from Lush. And, um, you know, but people were all really lovely to Yeah, you. people were really great. And a few times along the way I thought, this place is so great, I'm going to stop here for a while and get a job. Um, so I stopped out of Cairns in the Atherton Tablelands and got, a few, you know, some cooking jobs. And um, and then I ended up needing a job outside of Laura, which is just this butthole town. And back then it, it, um, it, it was where the sealed road stopped. So, you know, you could drive as far north as you can to Quint up Queensland and before you get to that tip it used to stop being sealed road. So no more tarmac, just dirt just or mud dirt. depending on what time of year. Yeah, and the dirt would corrugate into these uh, ridges. That yeah, would make so the whole intense thing, with yeah. a whole car. Can you lose control of a car yeah, quite easily? Yeah, and it's bad for the car. And what I found was that every car coming past, because I never had to wait very long for a ride, every car coming past was um, Blue Nomad which is the, is that what they call grey nomads? Oh, the grey nomads. Okay, so there's a tradition in Australia where people, they basically, instead of, once the kids have all left the house and have retired from work, they buy the the big SUV, the big Nissan Patrol, the Ford F-150, they buy a caravan on the back. They don't, they sell the family home and they just retire on the road. They just go and live out on the road. Yep, and And they drive around and around. Forever (laughs) and ever. Some of them do retain their homes and return to them, but a lot of of the travellers are are oldies and what you find is their cars are completely chock-a-block with stuff, pillows and blankets and doonas and stuff. Souvenir teaspoons. (laughs) Yeah, so they actually couldn't pick me up because there was no room in their cars. So for the first time ever I couldn't get a lift and I was standing by the side of the road for three days waiting for a lift and thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to have to – you hungry? Bail. I had, I had food and there was a pub nearby and I had a camp spot and there was a little Aboriginal community who were quite welcoming. Um, but on the second day, this um, handwritten note was delivered to me by a little Aboriginal kid on a, on a push bike saying, we have job for you in Carnival. Wait, we pick you up. All with crazy spelling and crazy writing because these Carnival people can't write or read. But uh, there was a travelling Carnival coming past. They needed some staff. And um, they saw that I was probably reliable. I guess they could read me that I, would, you know, held down jobs in the past. So they well, came. You were committed. You were standing on the side of the road for three days. <laughs> You'd clearly shown commitment to a result. Yeah. So they picked me up, and I had to work. Um, that it was about uh, four or five vehicles with trailers or, or vans that were chock full of things uh, that became a little carnival. So they kind of folded out and became. 
Yeah. Well, so like a like a throw the cans down and win a prize. Exactly. And, um, the magical maze of mirrors. The magical maze of mirrors was one that I did have to work on. Whoa. Yeah, the magical maze of mirrors, and um, another one was this bucket game where you had to throw a bucket to try and win a you know a toy. So you went on the road. You became a carny. <laughs> That's the greatest. It's not really. It's not. No, but it is amazing that you even had that experience. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I've never um, spent so much time with people so wild. They were really wild. Like what they, kind of wild? Because you've lived in rock and roll your whole, like who's, who's more wild, carnies or the most rock and roll you've seen rock and roll? Uh, carnies. It's a different kind of wild. Like every, every rock and roller, like from the Rolling Stones, the Beatles to, I don't know, Tame Impala, they've all been educated and they've all got nice families. You can kind of surmise that. Uh, from their music even. But um, carnies are wild. They can't read and write a lot of them. And this is people your, yours and my age and young teenagers who actually have never been to school. They've somehow ducked the system. There's a lot of rampant alcoholism and incest and the most blinding racism that's so overt that you, you just actually wouldn't actually believe it possible and that the insults I heard for for Indigenous Australians would make your hair curl uh, from these people so obviously I was an outsider and I was the dirty nip because I've got Japanese I don't know what I was doing there but at the same time I knew at the same time the whole time that it was an adventure and I was you know this wasn't going to be my life forever um so that so they gave me a, a wage I think of about two hundred dollars a week what was your job uh, manning the maze of mirrors and it was all indigenous communities that we stopped in so these little aboriginal kids would would pay two dollars fifty to come in the maze of mirrors and um you know it was amazing for them but in part they could see this is t- totally pathetic and just you know some erected bits of plyboard with mirrors screwed to them and you basically had to get lost inside <laughs> yeah. it and try and find your way out yeah totally so they do that but before they went in just to you know keep myself amused i used to tell them ghost stories about little aboriginal kids that have been lost in and every now and then we can hear them cry and their little eyes would get really <laughs> wide and they'd come back night after night and hear the stories about these little kids that got lost and never came out of the maze. in your magical maze of mirrors <laughs> yeah the kid trap yeah. whoa how far north did you get so I got all the way to Bamaga, which is the last town. It's the, the last town on the mainland. And then um, the, the carnival was still travelling across the water on a ferry to um, uh, the main town in the Torres Strait called Thursday Island. So I got to TI and um, and we put on the fair for I think it was like two whole weeks or something. And while I was there, I started thinking I could live there. It was really hot. It was really beautiful. And it was really just – it was just like the most um, peace – and and differentness that I've ever seen that's in Australia. It just was, it's like another country, but it's Australian. How old were you? Like 20? I think I was 20, yeah. Wow. Mm. And while I was there, actually, I saw an, a job advertised um, at the local radio station and I thought, there's no way that they're going to give that job to me. I'd done some volunteering at my uni for four years, but I was like, nah, as if they're going to give it to me, but I applied anyway and eventually... When they processed the applications, they gave me a job there. What was your gig? <laughs> Announcing, doing request, the request show. What was the station? Uh, oh, God. I can't. Before something. 
It was it was Torres Strait Islander radio, basically. What was the what was your, uh, your what was call the call sign? I can't remember. It would have been four four MU. Maybe. But what was your uh, what was your format like? When I did B one hundred five, it was better music variety from the seventies, eighties, <laughs> and nineties. Yeah, no, it wasn't that formulaic. It was um, community radio, so it was all funded by the government. We didn't have to sell any advertising. And what kind of requests were you playing? What song you want belong you and me? And I used to have to try and speak to Torres Strait Creole, which I do terribly. Um, but we used to play a lot of R and B. Mace, all I ever wanted was massive back then, massive. And the white people, because it was sort of a mixture of white and um, and locals, so, so all the locals wanted R&B and all the white people wanted Santana. <laughs> Hippies. <laughs> and that, that moment there, that's where Yumi got her start in broadcasting. Hitchhiking led to working in a carnival, led to working in a local radio station in the Torres Strait Islands, which has led to a career in broadcasting that is now... T- 21 years and still firing. Since the, like the entire time I've known Yumi, she's always surrounded herself with interesting and incredibly cool, impossibly cool people with very cool looking jeans. It, it was actually Yumi that got me into photography. I, I guess I was really inspired by her photography and that really pushed me to explore my own view through a, a camera lens. And I asked Yumi about what effect it has surrounding herself with creative people and why she's always drawn to creative people. I think I was really attracted to those kinds of people. My first serious boyfriend was a fine artist and I, and I really learned a lot just from watching his, um, his craft. He, I, I, he's still quite successful, um, a, an artist now who's made a living from that. And um, I, I just saw that the allocation of hours in his day to actually practicing the craft of your art was extraordinary and a lot of us think you know to be an artist maybe you uh you go to work and then you come home and then you p- pick up a paintbrush and you paint a picture and and then you, you go and watch tv for the rest of the night and it's not it doesn't work like that you have to um you have to treat it very seriously like an obsessive compulsive um job yeah. that you attend to maybe five or six days a week from you know nine to five or like grown up an amount of hours. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was always attracted to creative people. I was attracted to um, the choices that they made in their lives, which I think is the choice that my dad didn't make. So my dad was a very creative person, but he wanted us to have private school education and um, and a good life. So he stepped away from his creativity to make money. And I, I really watching him die when I was eighteen. I really felt. Uh, that that was the lesson I should take from this experience was that he um, had given his life for for uh, giving us material things, but his soul hadn't flourished, and um, and that was a really terrible sacrifice. Did you realise that at the time? I did. Yeah. Really, yeah. at eighteen, you realised that. Yeah. Holy shit! Mm, I could, because, I'm 39. I could barely make that connection. <laughs> well, it helps if you stay poor for a while. I think then you don't get um, addicted to to money or consumerism. But I saw, um, you know, the day he, that he died and the day before he died was was very uh, indelible. You can imagine in an 18 year old's mind. But he was hallucinating that he was having an exhibition of his artworks, and I found that really sad. That you know he'd had wow. yeah a life where he'd he'd um he'd worked as a chemist when he he could have made a a go of being an artist, and we would have been poorer, but maybe we, we would have been happier. <laughs> Well, firstly, let me say thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing that. You never told me that before. And that's, you know, just, just hearing you say that about listening, thinking about my own dad, um, both my parents are really creative. But at the time, if you were that creative, you went into medicine mm. because that's where the creative people and the smart people went. But I remember as a kid staying up late 
like sneaking out. If I had to pee, I'd sneak out. I'd see my dad would be smoking a pipe and he'd just be sketching on sketchbooks and he had just pages and pages and pages and pages mm. of sketches. It was, my dad was also a really great musician, but he just can't let it go. Mm. And it makes me think. So I haven't picked up a bass in years. <laughs> it makes me think. Yeah. Maybe you should start again. Yeah, a bass player without a band's a lonely man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, our parents were from the same generation and it was it's considered... Um, you know, folly that you could make a career in the arts yeah. for, for that generation. And they still are, are dubious about, about us doing it, I think. Yeah, right. Not quite like, are you? Yes, but when this television thing dries up, what are you going to do yeah, for a living? Right. Honestly, I'm so honoured that Yumi shared that story about her dad. I guess it's a reminder that, you know, life, life is so short. I've known Yumi nearly half my life and I met her yesterday. I'm nearly 50. Life is short, doing what you love, even as a hobby, doing what you love is just so important. Don't, don't not do the thing that makes you happy. Gonna hear more from uh, Yumi in a moment. We do need to keep the lights on here at BTYHQ, so you might hear an ad here. If you do hear an ad, thank you. You help me pay uh, Bree and Rachel and Andy and the whole team. If you don't, we'll get right back to Yumi. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening. This is Better Make It Quick, our uh, truncated edition of the podcast. Um, I've been at this podcast since 2013. There's over 500 episodes and some of them are, are well worth a second listen. Today, we're going back to the first of my, uh, over the years, several conversations with my dear friend, author, activist, and broadcaster, mum of four, uh, Yumi Steins. She still hadn't had a, yeah, she, she was only a mum of three at the time, I think. Yeah. This is before she had a, a, a fourth child. She was the mother of um, two young girls when we spoke. Those kids are quite grown up now. I've always admired Yumi's parenting style. Uh, her two eldest daughters are now teenagers. But I asked her what she'd tell them about what it is to be a woman in this world. 
I don't tell them anything about that because I don't want to set them up to have the expectation they'll be treated that way. But I always say to Anouk, don't play dumb. Don't play dumb. Don't ever act up your dumbness to get what you want or to get out of doing something that you don't want to do. She's really pretty. And um, sometimes I think she's already, I can see she's working that angle sometimes, you know. I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, But I think that the world that they live in will be the world that they make. That they've got enough control and say they'll have enough education behind them that they won't. They will never be victims unless they make themselves victims. That's an amazing thing to have for any parent, I'd imagine. If you start with that, then yeah, you're going to be all right. Yeah. Also, they're learning karate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that, before we wrap up, there's one thing that we really haven't touched on, which is really important. Oh. You are mm. one of the greatest chefs I've oh. ever, ever met. <laughs> How long is it between now as mm. we're recording this and your cooking show? Oh, my cooking show, really? I don't know. I, I know that... Um I, I, I want to do an eating show. Eating show <laughs> yeah. would be even better than yeah. a cooking show. Yeah. I want to do a show where I get to go around with a good close friend and uh, and eat lots of food at different. By around you mean the world? Around the world. I'll start with Australia because uh, there are kids involved. But yeah, start with Australia. We've got some great food here anyway, uh, and then eating. But yeah, people have often said I should do a cookbook or a cooking show. I think I could make that make that work. There's got to be a, a grey zone between this ridiculous, you know gastronomy kind of molecular bullshit and food that people actually want to eat and cook. There's a lot of that in Los Angeles, a lot of the molecular gastronomy, mm. the molecular kitchen. There's mm. a lot of that action, the cooking with liquid nitrogen and yeah. stuff like that. And it's, I've eaten some of it. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. But I, I know what you're saying. Just a bit of actual food, you know, yeah. cucumber that tastes like cucumber. Yeah. It was like I've eaten – Olives that have been made to look like grapes that mm. have been pulled apart and then put back together and it, like the chemical bonds have been broken and reassembled. And mm. yeah. yeah, not the scariest thing I've put in my body, but <laughs> definitely the, the scariest thing I've paid. No, Lots of money. Yeah. I've put some weird things in my body <laughs> in various orifices <laughs> over, over time. No, I'd love to see you doing an eating show. This isn't a cooking show. This is an eating show. Uh-huh. I mean, you just run around the world. What's that bloke? Not Thoreau, the other guy. CK. Ah, Bourdain. Oh, Bourdain style. Just roll around, just smashing it. Yep. Get them to cook. They know yeah. how to cook it. Yeah, they can fucking cook. I cook enough at home. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. I'd love to All see right, it. You've got the year of the networks. Get in there. Honestly, I love going back and listening to these podcasts because it's fantastic to listen and hear that the seeds of an idea in 2013, the seeds of an idea we now know got to happen. But you could hear them. You could hear them in there. And it's so important for us to remember that, you know. Yumi's gone on to publish two cookbooks, uh, Zero Fucks Cooking uh, <laughs> is, the, is the series. Uh, she found that beautiful sweet spot between degustation and food that people actually want to eat. Her eating show hasn't happened yet, but I, I reckon that's what could be next. You can find Yumi Steins. She's on Instagram, at Yumi Child. She's a legend. Yumi's been on the podcast two more times since we spoke. She was recently on the show to talk about her most recent book, Welcome to Consent, which you can find if you scroll back a little bit in your podcast feed. She's amazing. Get into her work. 
I hope hearing a bit more of her origin story let you know a bit more about why I'm, I'm so impressed and I'm grateful that she's in my life. See you on Friday. We'll have a bit of a chat then. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for Bree Steele, who produced this episode, Andy Ma, my audio producer, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, and you for listening. Until we speak on Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.